0: you're listening to highlights from an episode of the creative process to listen to the full interview or hear more about the creative process projects please visit www.creativeprocess.info we're just now standing in this is the entry galleries, uh, the inaugural gallery to our permanent collection installation here. I'm the Lewis B. and Dorothy Coleman Chief Curator here at the museum. And uh, I have a special interest, of course, in our collection. We reinstall it every year on the anniversary of moving in in November 2012. This was newly uh, opened in 2012. Uh, we look at different overall themes every year when we... Reinstall the collection, and this year it is Every Picture Tells a Story, which fits in uh, quite well with many of the uh, ideas that are sort of in currency. I was interested to see talking about our politics here in the US, and politicians are storytellers. Of course. You know, because they bring in their own. Uh, lives, and that's uh, something what we do. I think painters as well, Mm -hmm. artists, sculptors, printmakers, they bring in something of their own lives as well, and uh, thereby the story hangs. But um, uh, this year, especially with this series of paintings by David Sally which are um, called the Michelangelo series, he looked at the, it was a commission to uh, have come up with his own themes, sort of from some of the major themes in Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel. Perhaps we should talk a little bit about the the longer history, not just the establishment of this newer building, but going back to Chase and Fairfield Porter. Sure, it certainly does go back to the the mid-19th century when, um, as you know, many uh, really something, an idea that, of course, came over from uh, Europe where many uh, painters were established there, but also this idea of going out of the studio and going out into nature on plein air, certainly the Barbizon painters and this was also was a technological aspect to that in the sense that paints were made much more portable. you could have a carrying case and set up an easel someone um, you know made the medium uh, easy not easy but transportable as it way so th- this is one reason why artists got out into the open out of the studio and also were happy to. Um, you know, have that ability to travel and this certainly caught on in the U.S. as well. Um, The art colonies, so to speak, that sprang up here both in Provincetown or on the Cape Cod and also in East Hampton. uh, For that same reason, proximity to a a, a large metropolitan area like Boston or New York. But the ability, certainly when the train came out as far as uh, Bridgehampton, you could get a coach on to East Hampton. That's when. Uh, artists really started coming out. The boarding houses sprang up in um, in East Hampton to receive these artists and have them out for the weekend so all, everything sort of came together to facilitate that. It was often said you couldn't help but see a, a artist painting behind every haystack in East Hampton which was you know largely very rural and farmland around then but uh, it really started to ca- catch on about the uh, uh, 1870s and 80s. Right, and then mm-hmm. of course a school was then later established. I don't remember. Yes, 1891. It was in fact um, there was a development actually, it, you might say, not not unlike Barbizon and not unlike Giverny and other. These became, uh, you know, areas with some cachet, and to attract more people uh, to the region, uh, there was the idea to establish this art school here and uh, stop in the Shinnecock Hills and also a post office. So sort of building up this area, which um, before that had not really been um, sought after, shall we say, for houses and buildings, second homes really here. And uh, Chase was asked, because he was such a well-known teacher uh, with schools in New York and in Philadelphia studio, he was asked to come out and be the founding director this art museum uh, art colony <laughs> art, time, and art yeah. school yeah. so that's when it really started to flourish I do think it's there are certainly social aspects to this mm-hmm. because you know whether painting a landscape or doing a, um, a conceptual piece or a large sculpture I think artists you know Core all involved in this creative process. I always say they're, you know, they're almost like bellwethers. They they pick up on trends, pick up on anxieties, pick up on things in the world almost before the rest of us do. Mm-hmm. And you know, artists uh, get up, eat the cornflakes, go into go to work. You mm-hmm. know, they really do. And it's this. Um, it's this creative process, which is Chuck Close once debunked and said, you know, uh, inspiration is for amateurs, the rest Mm -hmm. of us get up and work. You know, it's not always uh, inspiration, but another great quote of his is that he always, um, anytime he sees a lot of painting, he might go into a museum, he's always astonished by the sort of transcendent moment when you realize this is sort of just colored dirt and pigment laid on the surface with what's arguably just a stick. You know, there's yeah. such um, a metaphysical moment when uh, this, these images are created on a surface. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in three dimension, if you're talking about something that has reference to the natural world, and in three dimension on a flat surface, when you, it's kind of a head scratcher to start <laughs> mm. So. Great art does have uh, has a transcendent moment. Yes, and is that speaking of it it seems like a kind of magic or alchemy. You know, mm-hmm. as you say, to capture something and you don't mm-hmm. know at the beginning yes. what you're going to capture. You have an intention, but yes. it's still being determined in the moment. Mm-hmm. So, what was it that drew you to art? And I, if I may say, the art of cura- curation, which I feel is a is an art, mm-hmm. yes, like architecture, the arrangement. <laughs> I, I do often go back. I was born and raised in Washington, D.C., and um, as school children, I mean, from kindergarten on, we were taken like religion to, like a religious pilgrimage, to the National Gallery of Art in Washington. Now, this was quite a few years ago, but uh, I can still remember sensations and feelings from those, that experience. This is the great um, Henry Paul Russell building. Neoclassical building in in Washington that was opened in the late 30s, and uh, it, it, it's beautiful inside. And even as a you know child, I recognized this different space that one was in. It wasn't like a house or church or a school or any most anything else. One would go into it just has a very special feeling. And what um, Mellon, the you know, major uh, donor, wanted to do he, in between most of the galleries, you'll be in a gallery, you'll go through a space that is a few steps down, it's an atrium, there are plants, there are chairs to sit in. You know, nowadays in museums, everybody talks about having a coffee bar, you know, having respite, you know, from looking at the art, which was very much his concept early on. I think that, I mean, I know that's what those rooms are, and of course they uh, remain as these vestiges of the, Uh, original plans but um, just the feeling when you go from a a gallery into maybe the humidity, I can still remember. It's almost like a jungle atmosphere. There's a lot of humidity in there because of the plants. And I remember those sensations and also sliding along the floor. There are these highly, beautifully, highly polished marble floors. And you just have that sensation of gliding along. And I don't remember um, you know, too many paintings. Of course, I've seen them for years, but I do remember, um, sort of, you know, very sentimental, sort of a Renoir with the little girl with the watering can or something like that. And I also do remember distinctly going by. It's a um, Toreador who is lying on the ground. <laughs> It's a very horizontally long painting Mm -hmm. and it looks as though it should go upright. I can remember going through and looking into that gallery and sort of thinking, why is he on that? (laughs) Why is this man lying down across the floor? And of course it's a fallen matador. But um, so I I think that exposure, which Mm -hmm. I think all of us in this business know that you, one needs to be educated from a very uh, early age and when I say educated I mean just exposed to this thing that we call art. Yes. You know, in whatever form it may be, but it should start early. <laughs> yes, it's yes. a language to become fluent in Well, a, Natural. Yes, yes. And of course in critical thinking and all those th- language skills all you know, we know now research and in the education field, we know what it can mean for different, particularly different paths of learning, you know, mm-hmm. to have this e- exposure. So it's not just the frills anymore. And that's very much known, which is what we, we do here with school groups that come from early ages. But, I mean, that was my experience. I, I felt very, first of all, I felt very at home there, mm-hmm. you know, having been exposed to it. Um, at such an early age and and going on to appreciate it, going on to really study in college. I didn't know that it was exactly a path to be taken, but it was certainly what interested me most Mm -hmm. and what I pursued. Want to get involved with exhibitions or interviews? Email us at team at creativeprocess.info. Thank you for listening.